Check, check. Mic check. Mic check, one, two. Mic check, one, two. Mic check, one, two. Mic check, one, two. Check. Check.
Good morning, church. I'm glad you guys are here. I know it feels like I'm miles away from you. There's a body of water between us, literally. It sounds like a weird love song. Um, we're going to worship Jesus this morning before we do anything. And uh, the, past, the past couple weeks for me and my family have been, been really challenging. And the one thing that has kind of broken the, the chains of being in bondage to, to depression and sadness has been worship and praise. And um, in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas chained in prison. And they started singing. And they, they, they didn't just sing for themselves. But they sang loud enough for everyone in the jail to hear. And in that worship and that praise, their chains were loosened. They fell off prison walls came down and um, they weren't rescued just to be rescued and be free but they were rescued so that everyone else may be saved so that's us Uh, the Lord wants through worship and praise to break your chains of depression and maybe you're lukewarm right now and God just wants you to commit and we're going to have a huge chance for that later as we baptize people but first Father we just thank you for Lord this beautiful morning that you've ordained, God, that we could be inside here, uh, ready to make public declarations of our trust in you, Lord, and we just ask that you would inhabit our praises, Lord, and Lord, we, we love you, and we worship you, Lord, we just want to bless your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul.
Thank God never fails You will not fail me now You won't fail me now In the waiting The same God who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out And yes, I'm too high In the lowest valley Yes, I'm bless your name
down Your glory resounds through the years No saints declaring Your greater renown Oh, your kingdom, your kingdom forever Everything you're going to do, lives you're going to change right now, today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good see you guys. And as always, before we start dunking people, uh, why don't you say hi to someone next to you?
Good morning, everybody. I, um, I'm dressed like this with no shoes because we're going to do baptisms. We baptized 18 folks last service, so yeah. And some of you are thinking, oh, I came to a baptism service. I'm not going to hear a message. No, you're going to hear a screaming message, not by me, but Pastor Rick. We, we talked about it. Uh, we were going back and forth. Um, do I do the message and you do the baptisms? Or do you do the message and I do the baptisms? And I, I, we finally made the decision last night. And he's going to do the message. Dead bug. <laughs> uh, he's going to do the message and I'll do the baptisms. And I'm looking at his notes and it is a screaming good message. So, matter of fact, I think I'm going to steal these. Rick, you're going to need another message. I'm going to take them. Uh, but I do want to share with you uh, what a wonderful week it's been. It's, it's been a bit of a heartache, as many of you know. Um, a lot of travel. Um, I, I, was, I called it the Charlie Kirk crazy train. Um, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, California. Six events, back to North Carolina, back here, uh, San Diego. Um, it was crazy. But in the course of it, as a lot of you know, um, our, our family suffered a tragedy. Our uh, little grandson was stillborn uh, 17 weeks, 19 weeks, something like that. Uh, he, my daughter Molly um, delivered his earth suit, as I like to say, and then he was a short-term visitor. So he's with the Lord and that was, that was rough on all, all of us. Um, and after the whirlwind of all those areas, I really haven't had time to mourn. My, my wife has been caring for my daughter and my son-in-law. And everybody was doing all that. And the congregation was just so thoughtful. And uh, we've given them kind of time to just be together. So the staff was real busy. And I landed late uh, Thursday night um, and there was no, and it, oh, you guys are like, oh, poor you. But there was no one to pick me up at the airport. <laughs> and I was fine with that, I, you know. And it's hard to get an Uber these days, strange. Um, but we had arranged with a member of the congregation. My daughter said, oh, there, Dad, there's a guy who does a livery service. He's new to the congregation, he and his wife. And he'll pick you up. His name's Steve um, Brigida, his wife, Sarah. And they, I'm, I'll be dedicating their little, little daughter. And I'm like, oh, cool. So I get in the car with him, and my flight landed early and he knew because he's got all the stuff he's really good at what he does I get in the car and he asked me how everything's going and I kind of share with him and I go dude you're gonna hear about me on a Sunday service I want to know about you and he's like you don't know about me and I go no I, I I don't have a clue who you are I I don't know he goes really no one's told you about me I go no no they haven't and, and if he didn't see the live stream last night, he was on it, he and his wife. It is the most amazing testimony. Uh, he, he, uh, he had two life sentences. Yeah, we can go through that later. <laughs> and he's, he's been through the California prison system, all the high security, you know, Pelican Bay and Folsom and Calipatria and Salinas and Lancaster. He's, he's collect them all, you know, he's... <laughs> He's done the route. But the part that got me, and, and forgive me, and in the car ride, I was trying to go, oh, mm-hmm. But inside, I'm like, <laughs> I was, he, he escaped from a high-security prison in a trash dumpster <laughs> and succeeded. And then it began to crush him. Yeah, broke his ribs and, oh. And then that, 
That was just the first stop. Six more times it crushed him at each of the different stops. And then it dumps him in the dump site, and the bulldozer's going to run him over. And he's putting his hand through a crate trying to stop the guy, and he stops. God saved him. No Christian upbringing at all. And he's, you know, he's miserable. And, the, and then the bucket comes down, gashes his leg. He finally just starts running for his life, hobbling with broken ribs and, you know, blood coming out of his nose and ears from the crushing and his eye. Blood vessels are all, he's, he looks patriotic. <laughs> blood, white, red. And, um, and, and he gets about 100 yards and they arrest him and months of recovery. But it's in the process that he, he sees a manifestation, demonic, and he thinks if there's a demon, there's got to be a God begins to read the scriptures, comes to Christ. His wife's story is just as amazing, which was interesting because he pulls over in Woodland Hills, says, look, I got another ride I got to pick up at LAX. My wife's going to take you the rest of the way. Pulled off at the Denny's. I had to switch cars. I'm like, this is a really, this is Mr. Toad's wild ride. I've been with Charlie Kirk. That ain't nothing. So, so she tells me her story, which is just as amazing. And, and then it was a late night. I had to get up early, drove to San Diego. I get to San Diego, and Jurgen Matisius, who sat right where my wife is seated, he came with two other pastors and their wives on a Sunday, the second Sunday we were open. He's a pastor down in San Diego. I'd never met him. He came up here and heard about our church. And he sat, and he was so moved by the, the bravery of this congregation that he went back and opened up his church. And four campuses and a bunch of churches in San Diego opened up. So I'm in San Diego speaking to all these pastors at this luncheon and going through kind of what we've endured as a congregation. And I finish sharing and Jurgen comes up and he says, you know, I, I just want to add this one point. He says, uh, the Sunday that we came back so motivated and moved by your church, your, your fellowship, that we opened up. And he said that Sunday, interestingly enough, there was a young Marine decorated who'd had a terrible breakup with his girlfriend and, and had taken his revolver, uh, not revolver, but semi-automatic pistol, and put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger, and it misfired. Put another round in the chamber, screamed, did it again, and it clicked. At that moment, the phone rang. The gun didn't work twice. The phone rings. He picks it up. It's his father. He says, I'm worried about you. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I added that part. But he said, I think we need to go to church. And he says, Dad, we've never been to church. And besides, where would we go? No churches are open. He said, I heard about a church called Awaken, which is Jurgen's. They went. This Marine gives his heart to the Lord, calls his girlfriend, tells her he's a changed person. She doesn't believe it. She sees the, the transformation. She comes to church. She gets saved. The dad gets saved. And Jurgen said, had you not opened your church, we wouldn't have opened ours, and that man would be dead right now. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. just got back this week from North Carolina, and I'll leave you with this. Um, over 100 pastors gathered in a room, lieutenant governor who's running for the governor position in North Carolina. And North Carolina is much like California. We have Governor Mussolini. They have Governor Cooper Leaney. Um, but they, 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 these governors have sought fit to declare the church non-essential. And I told these pastors, I said, the Bible declares the church to be the bride of Christ. 
And we're the defenders of the bride of Christ. And you have a governor who says that the church is non-essential. And I looked out at these pastors. I said, I'm 56. I'm out of shape. But I have to tell you something. You dare call my wife non-essential? You'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. Some of you are like... My point is this, the body of Christ, his bride, is to be heralding truth. And how do you legislate without truth? And, and as we're watching this election, which is the most critical election since 1860, and the, the church is silent. And, and now we, we find it hip to put up a black tile in support of BLM Inc. And I refuse to call Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter, BLM Inc. has no concern with black lives. If they did, why are they in partnership with Planned Parenthood? Where, where 4% of the population, that's black American females of childbearing age, are responsible for almost 40% of the abortions in America. It's a holocaust in the black community. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. She put those Planned Parenthoods in inner cities for the purpose, by her own words, to do away with the undesirable races. And, and, and they give out this, the Maggie Awards. You, you just do your own homework. Don't, don't look at me and dismiss me. Do your work. And so here they put up a black tile because it's convenient. And now we have the opportunity for the first time since 1973 to remove this scourge of abortion upon our nation. And those same churches that put up the black tile are now silent when you have a justice who's about to be confirmed and overturn the slaughter of our children. And, and, and the church is to be that voice for the voiceless. And we've even come to a place where we don't want to talk about that in the church anymore because it's inconvenient. But the question is, if it's not a human being, then what is it? And, and really, how do you come up with an answer? And, and you have a candidate who approves the partial birth of that child with the legs and the torso leaving the head within the birth canal. And I don't want to go through the graphic detail of it, but that's what they do. Where's the church? And why are they silent? This is critical, and, and you say it's not a human being. That's what happened in 1860. And we lost in the first battle in the Civil War more soldiers than all previous wars combined. And in the second battle, 7,000 men died in 20 minutes. Over 600,000 would die in a field of battle, 2% of our nation's population to remove the scourge and declare that melanin does not remove the humanity of an individual or even the lack thereof. Everyone is a human being. And we're watching the numbers move rapidly because you stand for a position that the church has been silent on. And all of a sudden a political leader is driving the narrative. When did that happen? And, and the last part is this. This is my 
third of three closes. <laughs> the last part is this. That great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln, when he was shot in the back of the head on April 14th, 1865, and died on April 15th, Friday, April 15th, 1865, the churches in America did not lament the death of the great emancipator. You look at the sermon titles. They lamented the fact that he died in a theater on Good Friday. It's called virtue signaling. Where's the spine that is necessary in the moral fiber that people would know the truth and the truth would set them free? Because people don't love liberty and they don't love freedom. They say they do, but they don't. Three to five million Jews enslaved cry out to God for deliverance. God sends Moses. Moses confronts Pharaoh. He repeats what God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is God that I should obey him? He begins to show his strength as a political leader, doubles the brick output of the slaves and reduces their materials. And you know what the slaves do who cried out for freedom? You know what they do? They complain to Moses. Because people want freedom. They just don't want to pay for it. They don't want to suffer. And we sit here because for 244 years, men and women have bled and died so that you have this freedom. And this is the generation that we're going to lose it. Not in this place, not on my watch, not in this country, not now, not ever. And the greatest declaration of freedom is that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Pastor Rick's going to give a sermon. He's going to talk about what's going to take place here, and you're going to be eyewitnesses because people are going to make a public profession of faith. They're going to associate themselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When they come out of that water, my prayer for every one of them in the first service, this service, and the next, is that when you come out filled with the Spirit of God, may He give you the strength and the joy to serve Him with reckless abandon because the world needs real Christians, and you're here to encourage them and bless them. And if you've never been baptized, one question for you. Why not? What are you afraid of? The water's warm. And I baptize the same way I eat Oreo cookies. I put them in the milk till the bubbles stop. I'm kidding. I'm really, I'm kidding. But may the Lord prepare your heart for what will be for you one of the most amazing services you will ever witness. And I pray you participate in it as well. And so with that, let's welcome my dear friend, co-pastor, Pastor Rick Brown. Come on, buddy. I joined him because he's a barefoot preacher. You notice that? He got good and wet. Hey, welcome to God Speak. If this is your first Sunday, you might be a little surprised about Pastor Rob sharing what's going on, or maybe that's why what brought you. But God Speak's heart is to engage with heaven. We're citizens of heaven through our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But we are also American citizens, amen? And so we're wanting to be salt and light in our communities. And so we want to engage the culture with a passion for the liberty that Jesus brings and that our nation was built upon and we want to continue to bring that forward. Whatever uh, may happen, there's a, we go to court on the 9th of November to have a trial date with a new judge that we hear is real tough. And so uh, all I can say is, uh, like in the words of Daniel, this battle belongs to the Lord. It's his, it's his, his people. Let the Lord do what he's going to do. 
and uh, we're going to be praying and seeking his face for his spirit to move. Well, we want to turn our hearts to the word of the Lord, and if you don't have a Bible, in a moment we're going to be standing and reading God's word, so just raise your hand. Our usher team's going to get a Bible to you, so just raise your hand up wherever you're at if you want one of these Bibles, and they'll get them to you. We pick up, Pastor Rob and I are going to be going back and forth through the book of Acts, so I just pick up where he left us uh, in Acts chapter 10, and we pick up chapter 11. As we look at Peter is called on the carpet. There's an old saying that no good deed goes unpunished. Have you ever done something good that you know Jesus wanted you to do only to suffer for it afterwards and say, hey, what's up with that? You reach out to do some kind deed and get slapped in the face. You reach out to share the gospel only to have that venomous attack come at you. Many people are actually silenced because once they've stepped out for the Lord, they just think the world is going to stand up and applaud you. Well, oftentimes they throw rocks. And it's one thing to receive uh, a, the abuse of an unsaved world. But you know what's more difficult? Is to have rocks thrown at you by other believers, right? That, that's more painful because, hey, you're supposed to have my back. We're, we're, we're in the same family. So what's the deal? And that's what Peter's going through. But he's going to give us a model to walk through the controversy that has come up. And we're going to learn some lessons for ourselves as well. As we unfold this message, Peter is called on the carpet. When you're called on the carpet, how do you diffuse that to see your adversaries, those who are contentious, brought to silence, glorify God, and accept his will? That's our goal, right? That's what we want in this conflict that we're going to learn the valuable lesson. If you will, stand and open to Acts chapter 11 for our message and the reading of God's word. Once again, Acts chapter 11. Picking up in verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and the birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts to the power and the truth of your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to see four things. First, the violation of these Jewish believers' conviction. Oftentimes the freedom that we operate when God calls us into new territory violates the concepts, the convictions, the concerns of others. And we have to walk through this process very patiently to come out the other side. So we're going to see the violation 
We're going to see the vision that Peter tells him as he begins to explain, the visitors that show up, and the verdict. And in these four scenes that unfold, realize it's something that seems a bit foreign to you and I. That's why we have to step into the sandals, if you will, of first century Christianity. God's covenant people, the Jews, and their Jewish Messiah, and their Jewish Bible was very Jewish, <laughs> right? And they, uh, a Jewish man would wake up in the morning and pray, God, I thank you that I am not a dog, that I am not a woman, and that I am not a Gentile, okay? That was their daily prayer. So you think they had some prejudice going on in their lives? And one of the things about Gentiles, non-Jews, everybody in this room that is not Jewish, now let's just get a, take a little temperature. Anybody here Jewish, we want to give you a blessing. Raise your hand. We love you. One, two. We had three in the earlier, four, three. I'm, Marty, I counted you in the first service. Any, <laughs> so we have two. Now, if you're non-Jewish, you're a Gentile, raise your hand up. Mine are both up. Okay, so all of us with our hands up now are fuel for the fire of hell, and God, that's right, sister, that's the way I feel about it, too. That makes me sad all as well. But there's this concept, it was something that was so revolting for them that when they heard that Peter went to a Gentile's house and went into that house, which he had never done in his entire life, and ate a meal with them, which would be non-kosher Gentile food, they were aghast. They were offended. And as soon as he got back to, from Jerusalem, from his little mission trip, they called him on the carpet and they gave him the what for. Now... He has to answer for himself. I learn a lot from Peter because unlike Peter, when, Pe when I know I'm doing what God's called me to do, I I'm a very free person. I've been liberated by Jesus and I want to do whatever he wants to do and I will minister to whoever God opens and the door in front of me. I feel a little bit, a little bit, like Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who was accused of reaching out to too many people, he said, if I was invited to hell to preach, I would go as long as they promised to let me out afterwards. <laughs> right? And that's what Peter is doing here. He's going to this Gentile's house. He feels uncomfortable. And God's going to give him this vision that is a, in the form of a menu, if you will, <laughs> of food. Which is apropos for a hungry man because chapter 10, verse 10 says he was very hungry and was ready for lunch. So the Lord said, hey, we'll just take that, we'll use that, we'll illustrate this. But notice three things about those who were his detractors. First of all, they were believers. For it says that the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, which is another way to say Gentiles now believe in Jesus. And then the circumcision, they were marked physically. You see, the Old Testament believer, if they converted to Judaism or as if they were born into Judaism, Circumcision was the Old Testament form of baptism. That's how you were marked ex externally for your faith in God. And it says you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, this is terribly offensive. You went and ate with non-believers. And you and I go, what's the deal? What's the big deal? Well, we get a glimpse as Peter now is going to, it tells us, how do you silence your detractors how do you bring them to glorify God, and how do you get them to agree with you, this is God's will? Look how he does it. 
First of all, it tells us, as we look at his vision in verse 4, Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. He took the time to now walk them through step by step in detail what happened. So I said, I'm a very free soul. And when I feel like somebody's just judging me, my temptation is just to blow them off. I'm not explaining anything to you. I don't feel like I need to explain myself to you. I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. Eh, wrong answer. <laughs> According to Peter here, he's called on the carpet, and it says, he now takes the time. i got to walk these guys through it. They don't understand. I've already processed it, but they need to process it. That's a patient, kind, loving heart to want to win them. I also think it's in the attitude that he reveals to us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what he says there. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Meekness and fear means humbly and respectfully. So I'm going to take the time to really explain this to you. I'm going to do it in a humble manner, and I'm going to do it in a respectful manner because your questions deserve answers. This is so unlike me. I know you guys are really kind, patient, wonderful people, but not so much for me until Jesus changes me, right? So this is the plan that Peter now begins to unfold. He explains it in order. He's going to do it very humbly. The opposite of that, give them no details, blow them off in arrogance and disrespect. That doesn't win anybody's heart. That doesn't do anything productive for the kingdom of heaven. But now he's going to tell us, now, granted, I want you to know that this is a pretty grandiose explanation filled with visions, with visitors, and all these different things. And normally, our explanations are not quite that heavenly, but check it out. He says in verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance, and I saw a vision. An object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to be. When I observed it intently and considered it, it, it's not some passing thing. He's really checking it out. He saw that it was filled with four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And then he heard the voice from heaven say, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. So this sheet comes down. He's hungry. He's on a rooftop. It's almost noon. He falls into a trance. It's the work of the Spirit, a very prophetic scene. And this sheet comes down, and it's filled with all kinds of unclean animals that a Jewish boy would know from, if you've ever read Leviticus chapter 11, it's filled with what you shall eat and what you may not eat. It's, it's very descriptive. And so he sees all these creatures in there, no doubt clean animals, mixed with unclean animals. And then the voice from heaven, God's telling him to rise, Peter, kill and eat. So it's not just the menu that he's going to eat, which is a metaphor. I want you to be active. I want you to eat and digest what I'm teaching you right now. And the things that were in there were revolting to him. Because if you're trained your entire life that this animal is unclean and those who eat this kind of food are going to hell... How are you going to respond when you see it on the menu offered to you? I don't think so. Pastor Rob shared when he went through chapter 10 that no doubt pigs were in there, which is the most famous unclean animal. animal. But we, we love bacon, right? But I, I want you to know that there's some things that come from pigs that are revolting to me. You ever been in the convenience store? You're getting something, there's some pickled pig's feet in a jar. You ever just dry heave, look at... Oh, 
we had a little brown schnauzer. We called him Brownie. And when he was going to throw up, something upset him. He would do the brownie dance, we called it. And he would go, and he'd walk in circles, and you knew it was coming. And the whole family went on alert, like, get him outside, get him outside, he's going to throw up, whatever. You know, so it was the brownie dance. But realize, when these things are offered to Peter in this trance, that is his revolting reaction. This is sickening. I'm not going to eat this. He flat out tells the Lord, has God ever called you to minister to somebody and love somebody? And in your heart, you said, no way, not a clue. I'm not sharing with them. I don't care if they burn it. I don't want anything to do with them, right? Let them fry. They should. I'm sure you guys don't think that way. But <laughs> guys, they come from where else. That's, that's the way we think. It's like, Lord, you got you to change hearts and you got to change lives. And something revolting. Now, just for a moment, because you see this, I can tell for some of you, you're still not quite getting it. There's this vacant look. And the vacant look is food, so what? No, for a moment, let me put the things in the sheet that you have prejudices against. And the things that you have prejudices against, let's put it in the sheet and now I tell you, now you, this is God's will for you to overcome those prejudices. And I want you to feast and draw the nutrients that I have that this is not unclean. And I want you to do this. You see, most people have prejudices. Whether you want to announce it or not, you don't need to announce it. You just know in your own heart, right? There are certain races of people that offend you. There are people of an economic persuasion that offend you. There are people in political circles that offend you. And yet, in Christ, we know that there's none of those things. Jesus breaks down all the barriers. So depending on your maturity level, but for some of us, we still have some of those deep-seated things. Sometimes planted there by our parents, our grandparents, or even bad situations. Right? If I look my life, I could look at the bullies in my life, and because they are a certain race, I can say, I hate that race of people. I took my first good beating in North Hollywood at the age of seven. Three, uh, three Hispanic brothers welcoming me to the neighborhood. <laughs> And uh, one of them beat me up really good. But you can hang on to that. Like, okay, now i got a beef with those who are. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. People can be jerks no matter what race you are, right? It doesn't matter. But put that prejudice in there. Let me tell you how it gets real. World War I, the Germans are the enemy of the world. And so who begins to be persecuted in America? Germans. World War II, the Germans are on the scene again. And the Japanese. Who begins to be put in internment camps in America? The Japanese. They're born in America. They're citizens. They're, but once again, it's this, and, and the racial ridicule that comes at them. So it's European, Germans, Caucasian, it's Asian. And then you think about, now let's fast forward. This is where it gets real. 9-11 happens. They're Muslims. Right, And now America turns towards animosity, towards, you'll hear people, ragheads. Because it now has escalated this racial tension, religious tension, with our patriotism. And we think somehow if we don't hate this people group, we're not patriotic. Because that's not so. Let me just tell you, some years ago, there was a great miraculous movement of God in Iran. All Muslims. 
God began through visions and all kinds of things to do a work that in a couple of years, about a year and a half, a thousand people became believers in Tehran. And these, they were Muslims, right? And now they're supernaturally saved. And so they had to start all these house churches. Everything's underground because you know in Iran, if you convert somebody from Islam to Christianity, it's the death penalty. It's the death penalty. It's not like some minor offense. It's the death penalty. And so there, some of them are under house watch. We had been saving our, at our church our mission budget. And through a series of relationships, we got connected with this group. And they needed to fly out of Iran. You can't go do a pastor's conference in Iran for Christians, just so you know. I know that might be a like, heavy revy for some of you. And so we had saved up $140,000 in our mission budget, and we put 122 Iranians on a plane in Tehran and flew them to Istanbul, Turkey, to do a pastor's conference with them. Most of them are pastoring a home fellowship. They've been saved six months. These people know nothing except Jesus is Lord. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And the way that the things they had going on were just drama, drama, drama. A bunch of young Christians now are put in leadership. It was, it was nuts. So we're in this hotel in a, once again, a Muslim country, 99% Muslim in Turkey. But because they don't have Shira law, it, there's, they're, they're secular in that sense, their legal system. So we had a little bit of freedom. And I'm, getting, I'm pumped, you know, I, I've went to India, I've went to Africa, I've went to Europe, I, I went all over the place sharing the love of Jesus. I don't care what language you speak, I don't care what color your sin is, I don't care how poor you are, I don't care how much money you have, Jesus loves you and he wants you to be saved. So I have that excitement, I'm getting ready to go to this thing, it's like crazy. And I'm at the TSA, I'm checking my bag and there's this big, you know, TSA guy, he looks ex-military, standing there, he goes, where are you going, man? And I said, man, it's really exciting because I just get carried away with myself. It's so exciting. We're going and a bunch of pastors. They were Muslims like a year ago. And now we're going to do a pastor's conference. And the look on his face, he was instantly offended at me, my idea, and the whole thing. And he said, what for? Why would you want to help those people that took down our towers immediately? And I'm like, oh, it slaps him in the face. Oh, yeah, 9-11. Well, these people have believed in Jesus. And we're going to go minister to them. And I realize, you see, for some people in their sheet, there's racial issues. There's economic issues. There are people that you think are beneath you and that they are not worth sharing the love of God. And they're in your particular sheet. And when you think about them being saved, it makes you want to vomit because you would rather vomit than see them saved. That's what Peter's going through. Because just like us, militarily over the years, the people that we got in wars with, we became adversarial with. Jonah, when he was sent to Nineveh, to this place, to the Gentiles, the Assyrians had so abused the people, it was the same military reaction. He ran the other way. He's not sharing with them. Like Corey Timboom, whose sister was abused and died in Ravensbrook, the Holocaust, she's sharing a message. She gets done 10, 11 years later. And afterwards, there's the guard that physically, sexually abused her sister. And he's there to greet her. And she froze in place. Can you imagine all of the, talk about triggers, this guy's address of her. And she realized in that moment, Jesus loves this guy. And she said, I felt like my body was frozen, but I just made a decision by faith to stick out my hand because he was extending his to me. And I felt the love of Jesus flow through my body and through my arm to this man to share the love of Christ. 
You see, only God's love by his spirit can break this kind of prejudice in you, in me. And then you're free. You're free. And Peter was experiencing this so much so that it had to happen three times. He has the conversation three times. Why? Well, Peter's a little thick. He's a little slow. He's in the remedial class. Right? It, 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 every time God talks to him, it's like three times. Now, Pete, did you get it the first time? No. Nah. Didn't get it. Second time? No. Nah. Third time? No. Nah. He's still scratching his head when the visitors show up. Look at it in verse 11. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent from to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And I began to Begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter has a vision, but then God sends visitors. These three men, not, not a day later, not a week later, not a month later, he has a vision and he's sitting there scratching his head about this whole, you know, food message that he got and, and God telling him what he calls uh, unclean that God's made it clean, and it's okay for him to do this. And then these three visitors who are Gentiles who came from Caesarea are knocking on the door. You see, this is the beautiful thing with God. When God is moving, he's working on both ends of an issue. If God's moving your heart, he will move on the other end if it's the Lord. Now, this is, you know, a simple case in point, but I'll have some single guy come to me and say, well, pastor, I'm totally head over hills and sister so-and-so in the church. I, she's my new wife. Yeah, I mean, I just know it in my heart by faith. And I said, well, what are you telling me about? I said, how's she feel about it? He said, she doesn't even know. <laughs> I tell him, uh, well, you know, God kind of works on both ends. So if you approach her and you uh, bust the news, hey, <laughs> well, you're, you're my next wife. How would that hit you? And if she says, oh, yeah, you're my knight in charge, well, well, then I guess God's working at both ends. But if he's not, you're in a uh, one-way relationship here that's uh, going nowhere. But isn't that true in all kinds of areas of life? Because when God confirms things, he does it by the mouth of two or three witnesses. When God, when you're a pastor, and I've been a pastor for 30 years, everybody has a word of the Lord for you. Pastor, I just got this word from the Lord for you. And I would go, okay. Now, when it was the Lord, God had been telling me the same thing for weeks or months. And when they tell me, I go, amen. That's exactly what God's been talking in my heart. You know, we're right on, that's exactly what the Lord wants. But, you know, nine out of ten times, I'm like, well, I'll pray about that because I have no clue about what you're talking about and I don't know that the God's doing that. And just because somebody has a word for the Lord for you does not mean that's God unless your spirit bears witness with that. Amen? And this is how you discern and work your way through these things because otherwise, especially in certain atmospheres of Christianity, everybody's got a prophecy a minute. They're going all over the place. It's nuts. I'm going to prophesy over you. Hey, I'm totally open to prophecy. God has done amazing things supernaturally in my life, but it always resonated with my soul what he was telling me. Because if you're in fellowship with God all the time, and then somebody says something, it's like he has your address. He has your email. He has your text. He knows how to communicate with you. And he doesn't just do it out of the blue, like boom. Oh, they told me this. Therefore, I'm going to change the whole course of my life. 
No, not unless God's talking. You see, it's happened even in this situation with me standing here today. For about eight months, Pastor Rob and I were talking about doing this thing together. Corona hit, we put the pause button, and, and he's killing it out there on the road with Charlie's crazy train. And I sent him a text because I was praying through things. I was fasting and praying, actually, on my own in Boise, Idaho, about some things that I was going to launch in a long-term commitment with. And I knew that this door, but I had to close that door completely. So not knowing that Rob has had about five to 600 texts on his phone, depending on what day you catch him, unanswered, uh, that would make me short circuit, right? I, I, I can't go to sleep at night unless all my texts and all my emails are taken care of. This is the way I'm wired. Like, it's got to be free and clear. And his has got five or 600. I sent him a text, and I know he's busy, so I did it in multiple choice. He only had to text back A, B, C, or D. That's all he had to do. Because that's one letter. Even Pastor Rob with 600 texts could do that. B. And the one is, if he didn't get back with me, then it's all a moot point and we're not going to do anything. So I'm going to make this long-term commitment. Fast forward 10 days. I thought the no answer was, oh, that is the answer because that was one of the options. I think that was uh, E. <laughs> he had A, B, C, D, E, F. That's the way I function. Multiple choice. But he's laying in bed at 1230 at night and he's thinking, man, I'm traveling. How am I going to do this and love the God Speak family and love our nation and do these two things. I'm really torn, Lord. What and then he remembered, he had glanced at my text, but because it was longer than a sentence, he knew he'd have to spend some time reading it. And so he just like blew it off. Oh, Rick's got some thoughts. And so he's laying in bed at 1230 at night, and he's praying about things. Now, I go to bed at 10, so I'm already out. My phone's turned off. And he goes, oh, yeah, Rick said something. And he has to go back and dig through all of his texts and, and find my texts. And then he sees, oh, it's multiple choice. Oh, basically, I've just chosen the answer. And then so he sends me a text when I turn on my phone in the morning. I'm preaching at Calvary Chapel of Boise. And it's like, ding, let's do this thing together. What if I wanted to come here and Rob didn't want me? Is it going to work? No. What if he wants me to come here and I don't want to come here? Is it going to work? No. Why? Because God works on both ends. God's always working on both ends. He doesn't do things on a single end. And when you wrap that in your heart, it helps you just navigate life so much easier. God works at both ends. Peter, Cornelius, Peter's having a vision of a menu, basically a non-Jewish menu. And Cornelius is a guy that he fears God, but he's not saved yet. So he's fasting and pray, praying at nine in the morning. And an angel shows up in his living room and says, you know, you need Peter. Peter's going to come tell you and all your, the people you love how to be saved. Now, why didn't the angel just share the gospel? He's already there. Let's save some time. I'm all into efficiency. You know, I have told the Lord so often when I fail him, Lord, why don't you just preach the gospel by angels? You ever thought that? But they're perfect. They do exactly what you want all the time. Just, just get the job done with angels. And the Lord goes, no, I'm going to do it through humans. And if you don't do it, this, I'll get this person to do it. And so the angel says, hey, you got to go get a guy that knows Jesus, and he's going to come tell you how to be saved. So that's how the process works. God was working at the other end three days earlier to get him there. And Peter said, I remember you see the visitation of God's word. Don't you love it when you're in a situation and you're in a conundrum and the spirit of God just goes ding with that verse of scripture? And you go, that's the answer. And he said, I remember Jesus told us that John the Baptist baptized with water, but we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he watched these ding, there it was right there. So he just, <laughs> same thing, just ding, there's, 
perfect. Whoever pulled that off, sheesh. I got that 20 for you afterwards. And so then we have the verdict. The verdict is in verse 17 and 18. This is first Peter's verdict. This is his conclusion after all this. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? If God wants to save your worst enemies, who are you to withstand God? I was saved maybe two years, came out of a real rough and tumble life, and I finally, I, I was asked to be an usher. You know, an usher, they give you a badge and everything. I'm a young Christian, I got a badge, I'm an usher, and I got bulletins, and I'm greeting people. And then in walks the door, the, this guy named Terry, and the last time I saw him, him and I were in a brawl and both got handcuffed together and hauled off to the police station while we were smacking each other down. And so he walks in the door, immediately I just, I, I backslid and lost all my salvation. He walked in and I, I bristled like this and put the bulletins, because it's like this trigger, you know, the last time I saw him, he was sucker punching me and, and you know, the cop had me arrested and he punched me while the cop had me in handcuffs, so I leapt and butted him in the face and the cop showed me how handcuffs really work and make a grown man cry. And, <laughs> and so there he is and he walks up to me and as soon as he recognizes me, he becomes way more timid. He slows down and he's walking up and I'm like, what's up? He's like, Rick, uh, can I have one? I'm like, have one what? He's like, a bulletin? It looks like you have bulletins for business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Immediately I'm like thinking, this is my church, dude. Find another one. Get, you know, do whatever you're going to do. But this is, this is off limits. Like, this is the bloods and the crypts. You're not, you're not welcome here. But immediately that reaction was there. And how often in our souls. But Peter gives us that. He says, if God chose to love this people, this individual, I mean, the most graphic thing is talk to a U.S. military general, and the entire army is looking for Osama bin Laden. And if Osama bin Laden came to Christ before they executed him, before SEAL Team 6 took him out, right, what would your reaction to that be? It would take, it just like knock the wind out of us, right? You mean... God can love a, a mass murderer like that? Killed 3,000 of our people? In a, in, I mean, it's just indignant. You just rise up. But if it was so, if God chose to do that, isn't it a manifestation of how huge his grace is? And let's face it, folks, he's letting you in the door, and I know some of you. <laughs> right? We're no Osama bin Laden, but we got our own junk. Right, our own sin. And aren't you thankful somebody reached out to you and didn't say he's not worth it? She's not worth it. They're not worth it. Aren't you thankful? That's the message that Peter's learning. And he comes to that verdict. He just says, blow my mind. If God chose to love him and forgive him, who am I? Now at this time, in verse 18, we see the verdict of his accusers. They have the biggest problem with this. He's violated all of their prejudices. It says, when they heard these things, they became silent. You know you got your audience, right? When those who are telling you off all finally get quiet. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. They also can be saved. They also can be saved. And they're blown away. They glorify God. And when you share things in order, he takes the time to be humble and respectful. Notice Peter does this. 
And he brings them to this conclusion. He silences them through facts of the leading of the Spirit of God. He leads them to glorify God because he did it in a respectful manner. And they come to the same conclusion. Well, then God has granted them repentance. Man, isn't that mind-blowing? You see, for you and I, as we wrap it up and we head towards baptism, this is a time that we, in our hearts, follow the Lord publicly. The New Testament model to believe in Jesus, to turn from our sins, is to follow the Lord in baptism. Which, when you go down to the water, that person identifies it's like they're buried with Jesus. And when they come up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of new life. It's the old is, is passed away and all things have become new. It's an outward symbol of what has happened inwardly in your own soul. You know that pastor's conference that I talked about in Istanbul, Turkey? On the roof of a hotel five stories up, these people could not get baptized in their country, right? Without threat of death or prison. So they got a kiddie pool and filled it up with cold water, and they're baptizing all these Iranians when they're in Turkey for a pastor's conference. So you're not used to pastors getting baptized. You're used to them getting baptized first and then becoming pastors. But it, it works in reverse, right, when, it, when it's a group of people like this. But what about for you? Have you received Christ, and have you publicly identified with his death, burial, and resurrection? You say, you're not too young to ever come to Christ. You're not too old. And you're also not too young or old. Well, young, they have to be old enough to comprehend the gospel. But to get baptized, to follow the Lord. Look what happened on the first massive baptism at church in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Said, so, hey, the invitation's for you. You know, at the earlier service, we baptized 18 people, and most of them, over half of them, just showed up on a Sunday morning, not even planning to get baptized. They just, they just came out on their Sunday clothes. Guys were taking off their shoes and taking their wallets out of their pockets, men and women. And the beauty of it is that today you can go on record that, hey, I've decided to follow Jesus. As the old gospel hymn says, no turning back, no turning back. Though the, none go with me, I will follow. See, I've been married for 34 years to my precious wife, Tammy, and I wear the symbol of that marriage which is a wedding ring. And that's what baptism is for the child of God. It's like a wedding ring. Well, for us, it's an engagement ring because we're the bride of Christ and we're engaged to him. But it lets everybody know. And I just want to kind of strip away some of your fears. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you because one day you'll stand alone before the Lord to give an account for their, your life. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they think. You decide to follow Jesus. Say, well, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. My hair's going to be ruffled. Hey, it's already raining out there, so, you know. <laughs> We're just helping you out. You're halfway there. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you've never been baptized or you want to receive Christ. I'm going to lead you in prayer right now. If you're here for the first time and you want to pray and open your heart to Jesus, today's the new day for you. Let's pray. Would you join me and pray with me? Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and you shed your blood to wash away my sins. 
I receive you today as my Savior, as my Lord. And I want to follow you all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you opened your heart to the Lord Jesus, like the Ethiopian eunuch when he talked to Philip, he saw some water and he said, hey, what's to prevent me from getting baptized? And they had just met and Philip just simply said, if you believe in with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and if that's you, you can get up and make your way here. Pastor Rob wanted to connect with you in the water, and I know he's, there he is, and uh, baptize you, and the worship team's gonna lead us. And I want you to know the Bible says that the angels rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents. So man, let me tell you, this is gonna be a place of joy today. Amen? Let's warm up. Amen. You wanna get baptized? Make your way over here. Come on down.
tomorrow from all the people he baptized 18 in the early service we don't even know how many came a couple drove all the way from las vegas to get baptized here today we love you we would sing a closing song but we have another group of people coming so please in jesus name leave the building